As I said in the Bible class just a little bit ago, it's good to be here and uh, thankful for the invitation to be with you all uh, this week. I hope you'll make plans uh, to come back each night. Uh, meetings are short nowadays, and uh, if you blink, you miss it. So uh, we'll be here through Wednesday night. And uh, invite your friends to come, especially on that last night. Let me just say this. On Wednesday night, I, I want to do a sermon on why should you be a Christian or why should you be faithful as a Christian. If you know someone who's a member of the church and you see that they're letting distance come between them and God, or if you know somebody that you have wished for a long time and have wanted them to obey the gospel, be sure and invite them to be here that night. You have a great deal of influence, whether you realize it or not. Leverage your influence and ask somebody to join you. And you'll be surprised at how many people will respond favorably because of their respect for you. So uh, try your best to bring somebody with you on Wednesday night. Now, before we get into this morning's lesson, let me say uh, this. I, I, usually whenever I go somewhere for the first time, and this is the first time I have been here, and so I, I do know some folks. Uh, I see some people that I've uh, known from other places, and but most of you have probably never heard me and, and you have a couple questions. I like to answer your questions first and then maybe it makes it easier for you to listen. So I'm going to answer your questions. I'm 6'6", six, six, and yes, I played basketball. Can we just be done with that? Uh, because that's what everybody does the first time. They always ask, how tall are you? And, and, and then you hear these tall jokes and all that. You know, pe People will come up to you and stand next to you and size you up and then go poke you in the ribs and say, how's the weather up there? Like, that's the funniest thing. You've never heard how's the weather up there before. And so years ago, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to work on a comeback to all this tall stuff. And so uh, I was preaching in West Virginia. <clears throat> Man came up to me. I hadn't even gotten down out of the pulpit. And he came up to me when I got done and, and stood, like, just got right up in my chest and looked up at me and said, how tall are you anyway? Just hateful sounding. And I said, I'm 6'6". Six, six. And he said, I bet you played basketball. And I said, well, I, I did. And with that, he just turned and started to walk away. And I said, well, wait, how tall are you? And he said, I'm 5'4". And I said, I bet you played miniature golf, didn't you? <laughs> well, he didn't do what you just did. Uh, <laughs> he got red. But so I tell you, I mean, if you want to go there, I'll go there with you. We can play that game. But uh, there was a lady one time at the door, and uh, I was standing at the door. She came out and said, young man, how tall are you? And I said, I'm, I'm five foot, 18 inches. And she said, well, I could have sworn you were over six feet. But uh, I, I have fun with my height. But anyway, glad, glad you're here uh, this morning. And sorry, I gave you the reading for tonight or this afternoon's lesson and not the one for this morning. I got them twisted around, but I apologize for that. But if you have your Bible, uh, you might want to follow along or have it handy to follow along with some scriptures that we're going to be talking about. This morning's lesson is entitled, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. We have probably sung that song most of our life. We know the words to that song without having to have the screen or the songbook in front of us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. But I'll tell you what, that's something we sing, but I'm not so sure that we are believing the words that we sing. 
Blessed assurance. There's a whole lot of people sitting in church pews that don't have assurance. I was preaching in Texas not too long ago, and uh, I had finished a sermon, and I'd gone out to get a drink of water in between the, the lectures, and, and uh, a woman came up to me. She was probably in her 70s or so, and she was crying. And she said, um, that sermon you just preached, you described me. That, that's me. I can't pillow my head at night without worrying if Jesus came back tonight, would I be saved? I'm not sure. And, and I worry about that. And I, I, I'm concerned that I haven't done enough. And, and what if there's something I forgot to for repent of? Or what if there's something that I wasn't aware that I had done wrong? And, and she had this fear of not going to heaven. I was preaching in Oklahoma uh, City on an occasion. And... Uh, there was a woman who came up to me after I preached. She was 96 years old. She told me she was baptized when she was 12 years old, and she's been faithful to the Lord and his church all the rest of her life. And, and she said, but um, I'm the person you described in the lesson. I'm, I'm afraid I haven't done enough. I've tried my best. I mean, and well, I mean, I say my best. I've, I've made mistakes along the way, but... There's never been a time in my life that I've just like walked away from God. I want to go to heaven and I love the Lord and I've given my life in service to him, but I, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. There was a lady in West Virginia who told me not long ago who said, um, well, she has some sugar problems, diabetes problems, and it's made her eyes get blurry and she can't read uh, very well like she used to be able to read because of her eyesight and and this woman has been a preacher's wife all of her life you know and and has served God faithfully and and used her talents in service to God and she said to me you know what since my eyes have gotten bad I haven't been able to read my Bible like I I used to I sure hope I don't go to hell because of that Go to hell because you can't physically read the Bible? What's going on? I mean, th this is like, I can continue to tell you stories about people who are living their lives for the Lord, and they don't have any assurance of their salvation. They sing the words, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, and they're afraid that if they die, they may not make it to heaven. That's not how God wants us to live our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul said, I know him in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Do you see any doubt in that? Paul said, oh, no, I, I know God. And I have full assurance that he's going to take care of me. I've committed my life to him and I know that I'm going to be just fine when he comes back. Was Paul perfect? No. But he had full assurance because he had committed himself to God. Um, I read at the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you remember he says, I'm be already being offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He's about to be killed by Nero. He said, I've fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I henceforth, I sure hope there's a crown of light. That's not what he said. 
Henceforth there is a crown of life laid up for me, and not for me only, but unto all those who love his appearing. Paul didn't have doubts about his salvation. He was certain that he was going to be saved. John wrote in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things I have written unto you who believe in or love the name of the Son of God, that you may hope you have eternal... No, that you may know you have eternal life. John said, I wrote the book of 1 John so that you can know that you're saved. So why do we struggle with that? See, I, I understand this struggle that people have because I used to be that person. I used to think that, you know, well, one minute I'm in God's grace and then I have a bad thought. And now I'm out. I'm headed for hell. And, and so I repent and pray and now I'm back in. And, and then oh, I thought another thing I shouldn't have thought and I'm out. And, and I was just in and out. And, and my, only, my best hope was to die when I was in. And, and the moments I was in, or I, actually the best chance of going to heaven for me would have been sometime after 11 o'clock p.m. and before 6 a.m. when I was asleep. You know, I just said my nightly prayer. I go to sleep. I'm good, Lord. Come anytime you want. But don't come between the waking hours of 6 to 11. Is that what salvation looks like? Is that what this blessed assurance is all about that we sing? See, I don't think it is. And when we talk about it in these terms, you say, yeah, there's got to be something different. What is it? When, when I was a boy growing up, my dad preached. We lived right next door to the church building, and I had a big backyard that we would play football in. And, and when church was out, we'd run over to the house. I'd get my football, and then there was a church down the street and, and they would let out and the boys would come down and we would play football in my backyard until we all had to go home. And they would come down and I remember them asking, hey, are you guys saved? And I always hesitated in answering it. Well, I hope so, I, I think. And they were like, yeah, we're saved. And I couldn't answer that same way. I was always afraid. What if you said something right before you died? What, what if you had a bad thought right before you died? What, what if you're almost going to, you come over the crest of a hill and you, you're, there's a truck in your lane and you, you say or think something that you shouldn't and then you crash and you're dead and you died with a bad thought or a bad word on your lips? Well, there goes heaven for you. Is that the way it works? Do we have to achieve a, a spiritual maturity to where we no longer sin and then we can have spiritual security? Or is there another way? Because listen, all of us sin in this room. None of us have reached and never will reach a level of spiritual maturity where we say, oh, I no longer sin. That's not gonna happen. We all struggle with sin till the day we die. So if I have to be sinless in order to have any kind of assurance, then I'll never have assurance. And all these passages that speak of assurance and boldness and confidence um, approaching God, those are, those are dangling a carrot in front of me and I can't reach it. I, I'll tell you why I think we struggle 
And it's because there are sins that, that beset us. There are sin, well, Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, talks about sins that beset us. They, they cling to us. They hang on. And, and we can't seem to shake it. We live our lives. We try to do right. And have you ever prayed and said, God, oh, man, I messed up today. Please forgive me. And then tomorrow you do the same thing. And you're really genuinely sorry. It, it was a habit. And, and you did it again. And you didn't want to do it. And so you go to God again and say, God, please forgive me. I I really am sorry. And two weeks go by and you do the same thing again or you say the same thing again or you think the same thing again and you, you truly are sorry and you go to God and say, God, man, this is getting embarrassing to me. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't even feel like I'm... And then you do it again. And listen, through the course of your life, you've had to ask God a lot of times for forgiveness on that specific wrong you are absolutely wanting to do right, but you struggle with sin. Can we have any kind of assurance when we still struggle with sin? And my answer to you is yes. And I want you to understand that this morning. I want you to go home and be able to pillow your head tonight and know, not hope, but know that you're going to heaven. I'll tell you why I think we struggle so much with this concept. And it's because we have believed something that we've heard people say, and there's not truth in what it is that we have heard and probably repeated ourselves. And it's this. And, and I want you to listen. I don't want you to shut me down when I say it, because you may be saying, well, I believe that. But I want you to follow with me in the Bible and see if what, what the Bible says about it, not what I say about it. How many of us have heard and believed that a sin is a sin? All sins the same. There's no difference in sin. You sin, you're lost. You know, a sin is a sin is a sin. And we've, we've heard that said, and that's just not what the Bible teaches. Now, I understand that all sin is the same in the sense that it's disobedience to God, that it grieves God when we do it, but it's not, there are differences. Don't take my word for it. Let's listen to the words of Jesus himself. John 19 and verse 11. If you have your Bible, you can open it up there. John, uh, Jesus is about to be crucified, and he's now before Pilate. He had six trials that were all a mockery, and, and he comes before Pilate, and, and Pilate is saying, you need to answer me. I have the power to crucify you or to set you free. Answer my questions. And Jesus said in verse 11, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, listen, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Greater, that's a term of degree, isn't it? If somebody has a greater sin, then Pilate was guilty of the lesser sin. He was guilty of sin, but it wasn't as great as those Jews who turned him over to him. Jesus said that. What about in Matthew chapter 12? We have a distinction in sin. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said, listen, you can blaspheme me. You can blaspheme the Father. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you will have no forgiveness in this age or in the age to come. That's a difference in sin. 
Now, we can debate about what that is or study about what that is, but that's beyond the scope of this lesson. But what I do want you to see is that is there not a difference in sin here? There's one, he said, that can be forgiven, and there's one that won't be forgiven. Turn to 1 John chapter 5, and you see John talking about two kinds of sin. There's a sin that is unto death and a sin that is not unto death. And he said, that sin that is unto death, he said, well, don't even pray for that one. But the sin that is not unto death, he said, pray about that one, uh, that, that you be restored. But again, again, we can discuss, well, what does that mean? Well, outside the scope of what it means, here's what I do know. There's a distinction. See, Jesus and his apostles both taught that there is some distinction to be made in sin. Don't lump it all together. And I think by lumping it all together, we have caused ourselves to think that because we struggle sometimes with sin, that we're automatically lost, and that's not the case, and I hope to show you that. I think that uh, if, you know, sometimes people have these questions. They'll say, you know, I've... What if I've done something that I'm not even aware of? Like, I didn't even know it was a sin. And, and I didn't even know to specifically pray to God and ask for forgiveness of that sin. So, I mean, what about that? I mean, God will hold that against me. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 19. The Old Covenant had provision for the forgiveness of sins that were committed even under the Old Testament. And we know that the New Covenant is far better and the sacrifice and the atonement of Jesus is far better than that which they had in the Old Testament. But listen to what the psalmist said in verse, chapter 19 and verse 12. He said, who can understand his errors? Who among us knows all the things that we've ever done that were wrong? How many times have we said or done or thought things and it never even crossed our minds? And, and maybe we didn't even really have a Bible knowledge and awareness that those things were wrong. Who can understand all of his sins? Listen to what he said. Cleanse me from secret faults. The psalmist prays to God and says, cleanse me of those things that I don't even know that I'm, they're, they're wrong. They're sin and they're secret. I don't know about them. Cleanse me of those and keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Those are the things that we do that we know that we're doing and we know they're wrong. He says, forgive me of the things I don't even know that I'm doing that are wrong. And also keep me back from just marching ahead in things that I know are wrong before I even do them. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. So if God made provision for those things that you did in the Old Testament that you didn't even know were sins, do you not think he makes same provision for us under a better covenant? There's a statement made, and I'd like for you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings, and, and I'll uh, give you the passage here in just a minute, but as you're turning just generally to 1 Kings chapter 5, or chapter 15, excuse me, David is really a case study in the grace of God. Um, 
we know him as a man after God's own heart, but we also know him for one of the most embarrassing uh, moments in his life. He committed adultery with Bathsheba, and uh, with Bathsheba, uh, he, he sinned, he commits adultery with her, and there's, well, she comes back and says, I'm going to have a child, and you're the father. And, oh, no, this is, oh, I, um, so he, he tells, he calls her husband off the battlefield and says, hey, you're doing such a good job. Man, I'm so proud of you. Go home to your wife tonight. He wanted to cover it up and make people think that, oh, well, they were together, therefore that child is his. But, man, Uriah is faithful to David, and he's not about to go in and, and be with his wife while all the other soldiers were out in the field, and so he slept out in the field with his, with his soldiers. So David said, man, we got to do something about that. Hey, have him come over here, and David gets him drunk. And then in a drunken state, tells him to go back home to his wife. And he thought, surely he'll do that. And he still didn't. His loyalty to to David was such, and it was men was such, that he didn't even enter into his house. And so David finally said, well, we got to cover this up. I'll tell you what we'll do. And he wrote orders, and he gave it to Uriah himself. And the orders were to have the army withdraw and him not know it, and he'd be left there all by himself, and he'd get destroyed by the enemy. David gives the orders for this man's own death, puts it in his hands, and says, run along. I wonder if David thought, man, I am slick. I just pulled something on. I just had that man deliver his own death sentence, and he didn't even know it. David had committed other sins in his life. He had made a number of sins that we can read about. The Bible even records for us. He was not a sinless man. But this sin is different from all the other sins he ever committed in his life. Why so? Because that's what the Bible says. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5. It says, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. David was not perfect. He committed other sins. But this one sin that involved David and Uriah and Bathsheba, that sin was different than the other sins in his life. Because in that sin, he turned his back on God. This was a deliberate, high-handed, unrepented of way of life for quite a few months that he wouldn't humble himself until God eventually comes. David had turned his back on God. He wasn't like, he didn't step into sin or slip into it and go, oh, what have I done? And pray. He turned his back on God and was walking in this sin. And, And it's the only time in his life the Bible says that he did that. You see, there's a difference in sinning and in turning your back on God and walking in sin. 
a number of years ago, my um, children, we, we were living in Kentucky and it had snowed and it was morning and I was going to take my daughter who was oh, probably first grade, kindergarten age, and my son who was uh, about four years older than her. And so I got them ready and I said, let's go. And, and when my son saw the snow and it was pristine, not anything. I mean, there wasn't a track in the road. There wasn't any footprints. It was just perfect. And when he saw that snow, man, he, he shot out of the house and he's running all through the yard like a crazy man. You know, just there's tracks everywhere. When Anne-Marie saw the snow, she was like, oh, I don't want to get my shoes wet, you know. She's this dainty little girl kind of thing. And so she tried to walk in my footsteps as I walked to the car because she didn't want to get any snow on her shoes. And so when I got in the car and I backed out of the driveway and as I pulled to go in front of our house, I looked and I said, that's it. I mean, that illustrates perfectly. My son had no intent of walking in my footsteps that day. His tracks proved it. He was all over the place. But my daughter, you could look at her tracks and see she was trying to walk in my footsteps. Now, she didn't do it perfectly. My stride was too long. But it was obvious that she, that's what her intent was. She was trying to do it. And I said, that's, that's the way salvation works. There's a difference in a man who is walking in the light and trying to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and who is beset by sin that they don't want to do. And when they do it, they humble themselves and they have that attitude of, please, Lord, forgive me. I've done it again. I'm so sorry. There's a difference in that guy and the guy who says, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. There's a difference in those sins. The I heard a story once, and I think it helps to illustrate, but imagine with me, I'm going to tell you a story that has very subtle differences. A story about a little boy who's four years old, and this little four-year-old loves his dad. And it's a hot summer day in August, and his dad's outside mowing the yard, and he looks out there, and his dad is wiping his uh, forehead, and and uh, so the little boy says, I want to get my dad a cold glass of water. And so he goes over to the table and he takes a kitchen chair and he drags it across the floor over to the counter to, to reach the glasses. But when he drags it across the floor, he scratches the floor with the chair. He gets up on that and he sees his dad's favorite glass in the back and he reaches back and tries to pull it forward. And as he does, he knocks two glasses out of the cabinet and they shatter all over the place. He breaks two glasses. He takes that glass that his dad loves and he puts it on the floor and he goes to the refrigerator and opens up and gets a gallon, like a milk jug that's filled with ice water now. And, he, and he, he, it's so heavy and he's so little, he has to hug it. And so he just kind of lines up, you know, and bends forward. And, and pours that water out. And it, well, it fills the glass, but it's all over the floor too. It made a mess. And so he gets that glass and he walks outside. He's taking that to his dad and his dad sees him coming. And so he cuts the mower off. And right as the little boy gets close to his dad, he says, here's daddy. And he trips and he splashes his dad in the face with that cup of water. All right, story number one. Story number two. There's a little four-year-old boy who's mad at his dad. 
who's out mowing the yard. And he takes that kitchen chair and he rakes it across the floor on purpose. And he gets up on that chair and he sees his dad's glass and he just knocks out of anger two glasses out of the way and they crash and he gets his dad's glass and he puts it on the floor and he pours the, the water in it and then he just drops the jug and leaves it to gulp, gulp out all over the floor, soaks the floor. He takes that glass out, his dad stops the mower and when he gets close to him, he just throws it in his dad's face. Those boys did the same thing. They both scratched the floor. They both broke two glasses. They both got water on the floor. And they both threw water in their dad's face. But who in here would say those were the same thing? No one would. We see the difference. One made these mistakes while trying to express his love for God. It was just because of his weakness and his frailty and his clumsiness, his lack of care maybe, that he made the mistakes that he made. And the other one was high-handed in rebellion and anger and angst against God. That's the difference. If we live like the boy who did these things with well, good intentions, and we're in Christ, we have a promise of forgiveness, and that's what I want you to see in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, uh, beginning. In 1 John chapter 1, um, we have John saying, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Christ Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, here was my problem years ago. I would read that, and I would say, if we walk in the light, okay, so that means you're not doing any sin. If you walk in the light, that means you're walking a perfect life. You have no sin to your charge, and so as you're sinless, you can be sure that you're saved. But I'm not sinless. So that doesn't give me any assurance. But that's not what that means. He said, if we're walking in the light, what do we have? Forgiveness? Well, if we're talking about sinlessness, I don't need forgiveness. If walking in the light means I'm not committing any sin, I've reached a level of maturity where I don't even like to sin anymore. If that's what it means, then what's the statement about forgiveness all about? The person who's walking in the light is still making mistakes. They're still committing sins because of weakness and, and lack of thought and you know just presumptuousness. Sometimes we, we run ahead and, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I didn't guard my lips, uh, those kinds of things. But when we do it, we're, we're sorry. It wasn't our intent. I didn't wake up this morning thinking, I want to go out and see how I can disobey the Lord. No, when I, my feet hit the floor, I, my intent is to glorify God today. And that's what I'm going to set out to do. And, and you may make mistakes along the way. But for the person who's walking in the light, the blood of Jesus is cleansing you of those sins. That's where we have assurance. You'll never have assurance because you have maintained or you have reached 
a level of spiritual maturity where you no longer sin. That'll never happen. I'll tell you how you get assurance is that you walk in the light. It's when you never turn your back on God like David did. You're going to make mistakes till the day you die. But if you maintain that attitude that says, I don't want to make mistakes. I don't want to do the wrong things. I, I don't want to dishonor God. I want to use my life to bring honor and glory to his name. And man, when I don't live up to that, I'm broken by it. And I ask God to forgive me. That person has blessed assurance because Jesus is his. We need to have assurance in our lives. And, and I'll tell you, this comes to those who are in Jesus. If you're not in Christ to begin with, there's no assurance that you can have. What I'm talking about belongs to people who are in Christ. Not just like Christ, but in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, a Christian, if you've not yet confess your faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, do that this morning and, and walk in the light and you can know that if the Lord comes, it'll be all right. If you're a child of God already and maybe if you're harboring sin that you won't confess, if you've got certain pet sins that you like too much to let go of, well, you don't have any assurance. I hope you, you lay awake at night and worry about that. But if you're a person who has surrendered your life to Jesus and say, I want to serve you, and I'm going to stumble along the way, and, and I may be clumsy from time to time, but I want you to know it's not done deliberately. I, I every morning, plant my feet on the floor with the intent of serving you. If you live that kind of life and you're humble enough to say, God, forgive me, then you have an ongoing, continuous action, forgiveness of all of those sins. There's a difference where we started, we're going to end. There's a difference in sins that are committed by the person who's walking in the light and sins that are committed by the person who is turned aside from God. And that's the distinction borne out in 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5. And it's exactly what John is talking about in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7. I hope you'll know when you leave here today that you're a Christian and you are forgiven and you're walking in the light and you know that heaven, therefore, is your home. Paul didn't have any doubt, and I don't want you to have doubt. It's a horrible way to live, to think that at any moment the Lord might come or I might lose my life and, and to wonder and be afraid, well, what if I don't make it? Listen, God has a better way for you to live. Understand what his word teaches, and you can, you can revel in the security that he has provided for you. If you need to make your life right and, and regain that security, or if you need to, uh, to, to grasp it for the first time, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.